blue chip different uh, projects here. We're talking about uh, people, uh, companies with a revenue of at least 50 million plus up to maybe a million square feet uh, for a distribution center. So that's the genre that we're going uh, for here. That's the range. Uh, Somebody will tell you that a new car costs about $30,000. They'll say, my car gets 30 miles per gallon, mine gets 40, mine gets 25. The rates and the pricing that I'm throwing out there, you have to understand it's, it's very project specific, but I'm gonna do my best to overgeneralize and give people an idea of what to expect. And the other disclaimer that I wanna put out there is that none of the companies that are presented in this proposal do I wanna degrade in any way. Um, and I don't have anything bad to say about anybody, but I'm going to give you the reality of some um, problems that we've encountered. So the driving force is unemployment. Um, that's, or sorry, unemployment is down. It's very low. Um, the labor costs are ridiculously high. This slide group was made several months ago, and we have what's holding you back on um, on automation, nothing's holding anybody back anymore. It used to be that we would go into a facility and we would have to see at least a three-year ROI on a project before a company would be interested in it. And even then, really a year and a half was more presentable from an automation standpoint. And now six, seven, eight years is no issue because there's no labor to be had and um, that's what we're encountering right now. They just don't have the bodies, they have the growth, and so you're gonna be putting in automation because you get faster rates, you get more efficiency in turnaround. This hourly wage chart looks kind of bogus to me. It must be uh, union workers. Somebody pulled it for us off the Bureau of Labor Statistics, but I think warehouses across the country, uh, Reno's been in a pinch. I think, what are they up to, Jim? Like 17 bucks an hour, 18? This says, 20, I don't think that's right at all. But we are seeing, uh, you know, 14, 15, 16 dollars, and those are in areas of the country in the Midwest or whatever the case is, where they're accustomed to paying wages more like 11, 12 dollars, and it's rising faster and faster. This just shows uh, a typical distribution center layout. Nothing too fancy here. Um, you got overstock shelving and uh, you basically forward pick out of the shelving and you have your overstock area and people tend to start off a distribution center when you're a small company or when you don't have a lot of complexity doing stuff like this where you serpentine pick through the facility. And this is what a lot of robot companies are comparing, this is the model that they're comparing to. So when we go into a facility like this, we typically expect to see picking rates around 35 lines per hour maybe up to 60, something of that nature. Maybe they have some batch picking, maybe their product is set up in a way that's advantageous, but those are the kind of rates that we expect to see. 35, 60 lines per hour, something of that nature. This is uh, another drawing from overhead view that shows some conveyor systems. Um, This is zone conveyor, so you keep people from walking as much. They stay in smaller areas, so you're talking about maybe 40 foot, maybe 50 foot at the most long shelving lines, and then you run the zones another 65 or so feet. We found that a uh, 100 is too far. There's an optimal for most widgets that you're sending out in Amazon style. 
and we have found that in given distribution centers, when we set it up like this with decent management, you're going to get maybe at the low end 90 lines per hour up to we have some clients that uh, slot their SKUs real well to be in the 200 lines range. That's for a very specific product. Now, there are exceptions to everything. You can't pick tires uh, doing this kind of thing. Jewelry is faster because it's a small item. So this is sort of a universal widget concept. And in most of those situations, you'll have some fast pick areas. The 80-20 rule, Pareto's law, uh, is over-exaggerated for most facilities. Um, if you try to put a full 20% of the overall inventory in a fast pick area, but maybe 14% is the right number. And you do that and you get upgraded from your 90 to 200 lines per hour to 150 lines per hour, maybe in some cases up towards 300, just depends on the product. Um, but you're, you can replenish it faster, you're going through that stock faster. That's where you're selling a pallet a day of an item or a pallet a week, whatever the case is. Slotting is incredibly important when it comes to a situation like that, and it can be very important when you look at automation, because what we're seeing done incorrectly is that people buy fancy pieces of equipment, but the bottlenecks are all over the place. There's, there's miscommunication typically when you put in a piece of equipment that can only handle certain rate between what SKUs you planned on putting in it. Because most of the time you're not designing a distribution center with one style of SKU. If I sell musical instruments, I also sell guitar picks, strings, etc. If I sell uh, any big thing, I might have a small thing. Automotive might be an example of that. So you pick things differently, and uh, if there's a miscommunication between whoever designed the system and whoever is actually going to place SKUs in relevant uh, storage media and robotic technology, that can be a huge, huge problem. And that's where we see most of the, uh, the implementations go wrong. And we'll get into some of that here shortly. So goods to man, um, I've got a picture of the OPEX Perfect pickup here in the auto store. We're seeing about 400 transactions an hour. It is possible to get higher than that. They can, pretty much a person, um, can do potentially up to a transaction every six seconds with a toad or a box or whatever the case is, but it wears on you. So the actual rates that we're seeing from these machines, from the people that are pulling items out of totes and putting it in boxes, is close to 400 transactions an hour. But transactions means replenishments as well. So if you try to replenish at the same time as you're picking, um, you're going to limit what you expect to get from an overall output standpoint. And all of these uh, goods to man uh, models can be difficult to replace large quantities. So you, this isn't a one size fits all, typically. There are a few instances where it is, but typically in your average distribution center, this wouldn't be the only thing that you would place. The, uh, the OPEX example, they're a million plus in an aisle. It's really probably more like 1.3 on the low end, but these are average numbers. Um, it's uh, a machine that's typically 16 foot wide, can be up to 200 foot long, and it's basically, in my mind, the equivalent of 
10 or 12 carousels, 10 or 12 vertical lift modules, whatever the case is. Um, but it's a bigger version of goods demand than carousels. And then when I look at um, the auto store, I think of it in, the, in a similar way. If you try to put 10 OPEX aisles together, and you can watch videos of it, or 20 OPEX aisles, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but you have to be able to pick multi-line orders in those different machines, so you have to route stuff in and out, and the conveyor systems um, can get pretty extreme for those environments. So um, upgrading or using a different technology uh, can be helpful based on the overall size. And AutoStore, I got these stats actually off their website. I'll admit I don't have a lot of experience with them. They are fairly equitable, I think. Uh, I don't know if AutoStore uh, scales as low down as OPEX does. They scale better higher. Um, you can see that off their website, approximately five million gets you a couple pickers, but 13,000 square feet of dense storage is a pretty decent chunk of storage. It might be comparable to uh, approximately five OPEX aisles. And um, the numbers, don't assume that auto store starts at five million. I'm sure they'll sell a model for two million, but totes cost money, um, the stations cost money. This is just an average example. So we talked about pick modules having 90 to 200 picks per hour. We talked about how they have to be correctly slotted. There's a lot of work that goes into place um, making sure that the distribution manager has everything just right to get picking rights up. And the, the, the pick modules themselves without zone routing can't be, uh, can't be very big. So here you just have a box being transferred out and obviously, warehouse workers don't wear dress shirts and black shoes and things of that nature, so this was just some uh, setup. But the idea is simply that you transfer a box off of a conveyor and you do a pick. And that transfer adds significantly to uh, being able to get your pick rates up, getting things out of the zone. This is uh, the OPEX environment where you're looking at that approximately 400 lines per hour. I think it would, in my experience, almost regardless of the technology employed or the name brand on it, it's all about how fast can a person move and do they get um, fatigued over time. So switching people in and out of some of these repetitive motion jobs can be important. There are people that are better at them than others, um, but they are a lot easier to manage. and. We look at this type of picking goods to man as being a four to one ratio because the typical distribution center with a conventionally well done picking module with shelving end zone picking is going to be closer to 100 lines per hour. So if you, if you take that into consideration, it's really hard to get up to that 200 line range. You have to do a lot of specialized slotting and it takes a lot of bodies. So we look at it as a four to one ratio. When you're setting up these uh, different pieces of technology and you stack them right next to each other, you have to have ways of getting orders, boxes or totes or whatever the case is, to the individual machines. And so it's great that the OPEX or the auto store or, or the robotic picking item is uh, one point something million dollars, but you're gonna pay more, more than that for the conveyor system and some of the software pieces to get it going. 
Um, and you really have to think about the overall layout, flow, and how much is going in and out. That's where people get in trouble. Put walls. So one way to speed up picking is to pick in bulk and then bring it to a put wall. And it's one of the concepts that the, some of the robot manufacturers and implementation people are using to have the robot bring batches of a single skew up and then put to a wall. We typically see about 400 puts per hour on a, a put wall that has lights on it. Um, sometimes it can be up to 550, but we use it as a conservative average. Um, we do have some put walls for jewelry that are doing like 1,200 uh, units an hour, but that's absurd and it's just an entirely different uh, creation than your average item. Um, they can't be that big, so because you can't put something longer than about 20 feet and keep your rates nice and tight and keep them up at the 400 lines per hour. And you have to batch things in and out. Um, so you have to pick in batches and you have to really understand what your orders look like and it adds a level of complexity to make sure that everything uh, is known before the batch is released. This is an example, I'm not gonna show the whole video of uh, how a put wall works. So you're taking individual items and you're placing them into a wall based on lights. And here it is, real life application. This individual, if you do the math, is working particularly fast. I think they know the cameras on them. Um, almost sloppy. Uh, it's almost scary that the wrong thing's gonna end up in the wrong box, but that's the idea. Put wall in action. And put walls have to be laid out towards the front of the building. There's concerns about um, not being an impediment, not uh, being able to pack out on the back, pick to the front, staffing levels, ramping up, things of that nature. You can automate the put walls with some of this sortation equipment. So we're seeing, it says up to 2,400 puts per hour off this uh, SureSort from OPEX. It can be as low as 1,800, depending on what the barcodes look like and what, uh, what kind of rejects you get, what your products are. Uh, and it depends what type of scanning mechanism you use on the front end. But there are facilities that get up to 2,400 puts per hour. Um, they're about the same size as a put wall, but you, if you think of the relationship between 400 lines per hour that we expect from a conventional put wall, and you look at this where they're claiming up to 2,400 on occasion, that's an extreme difference. You're looking at a lot of different people you're paying for. These run about uh, half a million dollars or so, a little more. And then there is some concern about um, integration from a software standpoint, some usual typical cost there. There's standard APIs and such, but um, the big thing here is you can't do everything typically. You can't put big heavy items on this machine. So once again, you're separating out processes and you're having to uh, work around certain percentages of SKUs. So uh, we're, we're working with uh, clients in the clothing industry quite often, but you can't have uh, tags that are hidden. You've got to be able to scan everything at a rapid rate, and shoes don't really work because they're too big. So you have to work around with a percentage of your product typically to make these work. So this is uh, the induction point of the sure sort. The little robot's traveling through there. 
And this is a very similar uh, application uh, to what they're using at uh, NVIDIA, I know, does it, where they set up put walls and they bring the robots to the person and they're putting it away. It's a put wall scenario with robots. Autonomous robots. Everybody knows what a pallet jack and a forklift are. Um, we're replacing those with robotics. Uh, the individual bots out there have a variety of costs. There are so many out there on the show floor. My rule of thumb and what I've found to be the case with most of them is they cost about $10,000 a year for the light duty ones. So there are heavy duty pallet ones that are more expensive and we do a by year cost because even if you buy the robot itself and it's 35,000 or 50,000, whatever the case, you know, whatever the number is by the time you include the charger with it, et cetera, um, they wear out over time. They need repair parts, things of that nature. And there's some unknowns because not a lot of these companies have been around for 10 years that are tried and true and we know exactly what to expect. So we're going right now with the approximate 10,000 per robot um, scale. That's kind of where we're at when we're implementing these things um, from a budgeting standpoint. And we use these in a lot of different ways. I'm going to show this video because it's kind of a slow video while I talk. Um, this just indicates that a robot's taking it from point A to point B. Um, the cost savings here, what we're seeing with robots to people is that we, the way we set things up, which is very similar to what we used to do and still sometimes do with conveyors own routing systems, is that we're seeing about a four to one ratio on people. So what that means is that I can get the productivity of an extra person if I buy four robots. And that's just the rough math um, behind the way that we're zone picking and the way that we're replenishing. And, and basically the whole idea behind it is the exact same one as the conveyor situation where you had the diverts coming in. It's one where I'm staying in a zone, I'm reducing walking. Uh, I'm not reducing picking in most instances. I'm not, I still have to do the motion, but I'm getting rid of the walking part of it. And so we, we come up with schemes where robots go out in swarms. There are different ways of doing it. Every facility is a little bit different sometimes. The, the big thing about these robots is oftentimes they're made use of on one level. They all have the capability of going to a second level, but combining those two uh, different SKU sets and robot groups together gets more challenging because of the way that most of the software systems work. So having multi-level um, instances of robots uh, is something that we're working more and more on, but it involves a different level of software integration than typical, or it involves double touching, because we're using uh, different methods to group SKUs on one level, and then we have to do the same thing on the second level and then recombine them again. We did have an instance where uh, we tr for the situation where a person is pushing a pallet jack from one end of the facility to the other, I would have thought that these robots uh, would be a good solution for that and that I can at least count on them if that's what I'm doing all day to take a pallet from point A to point B. 
but we have found that on occasion there's so much traffic and so many things going on in the facility that certain brands and types of robots stutter and stop and can't get from point A to point B in a reasonable amount of time. So it were, projects look good on paper, but in real-world implementation, complete garbage, unworkable. We're talking about trying to go a football field away and it takes an hour and it's just not acceptable. So the environment um, is important. They have these safety features. The different robots have different levels of advancements on figuring out how to negotiate people traffic, but you still have to keep a pretty decent open path to make these things work in my experience. This is an example of a facility that does mostly parts distribution, but they do some repair as well, a repair parts uh, depot, so to speak. So because of that, there is a little bit of manufacturing involved, and you don't have a smooth path like you typically do in a distribution center. Whenever you have an exotic path and a conveyor, straight line conveyor represents an impediment, robots are no-brainer. Because from a cost standpoint, um, they're pretty similar uh, capital expenditure for the same volume. And here we have a lot of different pathways. All the different colored lines represent tasks and directions of product flow. And you also have some situations where you're moving a full pallet, some situations where you're moving small items or orders or whatever the case is, and this is a great way to do it. Once again, software integration is key. You have to most of the robot AIs, not all of them, are, they have APIs. And there's a standard API to go from one location to another location. And some are more complex in the management of the actual robots, um, but it's important to understand what you're getting into when it comes to a 50 robot implementation that has complex variables outside of simply picking. It's pretty easy to have a robot go grab an item, you know, off a shelf or you pick the item for the robot and constantly take it to the same area. And in this situation, we have a lot of different tasks competing for labor of the robots and you have charging concerns in between and you have surge times. Uh, you have days of the year where, uh, you know, right before Thanksgiving where people are ordering like mad and so the rates go way up. And so flexing additional robots in and making sure all that uh, software works correctly is a nightmare the first year um, in an organization like this with so much going on. And that's uh, been something that we've faced that was a, a pretty big challenge. And I think that's pretty much all I've got. Does anybody have uh, any questions on what I've said? Any? corrections on rates you've seen or costing?